Section 15 of Birds and Nature, Volume 8, Number 4, November 1900. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Luna and Polyphemus Moths. The two silkworm moths which we figure this month both possess a point of excellence far in advance of any other of our native silkworm moths. Luna, on account of its graceful form and delicate colors, and Polyphemus for the silk of its cocoons. It seems that most persons who speak of the Luna moth, Tropia Luna, feel called upon to give a more or less poetic description of it. This, I hope, has been rendered unnecessary by the colored plate so that it will suffice simply to mention that the beautiful shade of green is a very rare occurrence among our larger moths, and that no other has the long graceful tails on the hind wings, a characteristic which adds greatly to the beauty of this insect. The moth does not seem to be very abundant anywhere, but when once seen will long be remembered on account of its great beauty. The green and yellow colors are evidently very closely related, because either one may, to a greater or less degree, replace the other, so that some of the moths have quite a strong yellowish tinge. One of our common swallowtail butterflies, Iphiclides ajax, possesses a very similar green color in its wings, but does not seem to show this tendency to replace the green by yellow. On the wings are four eye spots, which are also found in Polyphemus. These are remarkable in that they are transparent in the center. This clear area in Luna is quite small, while in Polyphemus it is about as large as the entire eye spot of Luna. The legs are brown and colored like the front edge of the forewings. The hairs on the body and at the base of the wing are very long and are white or yellow. The wing expanses range from three and three-fourths to five and one-half inches. During April or May, the mother moth lays her dark brown or chocolate-colored eggs upon hickory, walnut, beech, oak, and a few others of our forest trees. The limited number of food plants is doubtless one reason for the rarity of the moths, as compared with such a common and almost omnivorous larva of Cecropia. A single moth may lay about 100 eggs, which are smaller than those of Polyphemus. These hatch in about 10 or 15 days the larva making its escape by eating a circular hole in the shell. Occasionally a young larva may be seen crawling about for a short time, carrying upon its head or tail the empty shell. The adult larva is about three inches long, of a delicate pale green color, a color very difficult to preserve in the dead larva. Those on the plate have lost this delicate green and have become yellow, but show the form perfectly. This larva is very much like that of Polyphemus, but may be distinguished from it by possessing a longitudinal pale yellow lateral line, which is not found in Polyphemus. Since the cocoon is quite thin and contains but little silk, it is considered of but little value. This cocoon is spun among two or three weaves and is about two inches long. Some authors claim that the cocoon falls to the ground with the autumnal falling of the leaves, others that it transforms on the ground among the fallen leaves. The cocoon is quite similar to that of Polyphemus, but not so firmly attached when fixed to a stem. The moths emerge in April and May, 
there being only a single brood in the north, while there are two in the south. The color of the cocoon seems to be influenced in some way by the kind of food eaten by the larva. Cocoons made by larvae which have been fed on hickory leaves have a darker color. In the true silkworm moth, this same influence has been noticed. Larvae fed upon the vine producing red cocoons, on lettuce emerald green cocoons, while those fed upon white nettle produce yellow-green or violet cocoons. It is necessary in order to procure these results that the larvae be fed upon the mulberry till about twenty days before the formation of the cocoon. Polyphemus The life history of this native silkworm, Thalia polyphemus, is by far the best known because many years ago it was carefully studied with the hope that it would prove an important silk insect. This hope, unfortunately, has not been realized. The moths, as shown by the plate, are really beautiful, the large eye spots on the hind wings contributing much towards this effect. The transparent window-like centers in the eye spot are also of quite rare occurrence among our moths. These transparent areas do not possess the very minute scales found in the other parts of the wing. Almost all of the wonderful variety of colors found in the wings of butterflies and moths are due either to coloring matter in these scales or to the breaking up of the white light by minute lines on these scales, such as are seen in the play of colors on a soap bubble. These fine lines on the upper scales are only on the upper side and are about one sixteen thousandth of an inch apart. The eggs of the polyphemus are very much flattened, about the size of those of Cecropia, and are deposited on leaves and twigs singly or in small groups. These hatch in about ten days and usually in the morning. The young larva often devours the shell which a few moments before afforded it shelter. This larva feeds upon oak, hickory, apple, maple, elm, and a variety of other trees, and thus has a larger range of food plants than the luna larva. The rate of growth is prodigious, as has been shown by Mr. Trovolote. When the larva hatches, it weighs about one-twentieth of a grain. In ten days, it weighs one-half of a grain, or ten times its original weight. In twenty days, it weighs three grains, or sixty times its original weight. When a month old, it weighs thirty-one grains, or six hundred and twenty times its original weight, and has consumed about ninety grains of food. After fifty days it weighs two hundred and seven grains, or over four thousand times the original weight. At fifty-six days the larva has eaten eighty-six thousand times its original weight in food. It is therefore not surprising that these larvae can often be easily detected upon trees by the large number of leaves which they have devoured. To provide for this great change in size, the larva molts five times but the time between these molts is not always the same. There is usually about ten days between the first four molts and about twenty between the fourth and fifth. The larva stops eating a day before the molt, spins a few threads upon the leaf to which it attaches its hind legs, and waits for the transformation, which usually takes place in the afternoon. The larva, when mature and ready to spin its cocoon, is about three inches long. It is sometimes influenced in its color by the food plant, the normal larva being of golden green, although it has been known to show more yellow coloring when found on red maple. A short time before beginning its cocoon, the larva ceases to eat 
and selects a place for its cocoon. These cocoons are usually found upon the ground among the leaves, but are frequently attached to twigs. After about a half day's work, the larva spreads over the inside of the cocoon a gummy, resinous substance which binds together the threads. After four or five days more of almost continuous work, another coating is smeared over the inside, which renders the cocoon practically airtight. The silk fibers become considerably finer as the cocoon nears completion, and the supply of silk begins to run low. For this reason, the inner layers of the cocoon are only about half as strong as the outer ones. The larva, as the supply of silk diminishes in the silk glands, becomes perceptibly reduced in size. It has been estimated that the larva, in attaching the continuous thread of its cocoon, makes 254,000 back-and-forward movements. The cocoons are very strong and dense, of a dirty white color, and generally coated with a white powder the female being the larger. There is but a single brood in the north, while in the south there are two. In order to see if the pupa needed air, Mr. Travelot sealed up some cocoons over winter in shellac, but the moths emerged in due time after being in an airtight space for nine months. He also delayed the emergence of the moth till twenty-one months after entering the cocoon by placing it upon ice. The silk in the spinning glands, before it is spun, is a clear, transparent fluid. These glands seem to be of excessive size when compared with that of the larva, since when fully expanded they reach the great length of twenty-five inches, or about eight times the length of the full-grown larva. These glands are paired, one being found on each side of the body, are considerably folded, and taper at each end. The ducts leading from the anterior end of the glands unite to form a single duct which opens below the mouth. The thread is double, being really composed of two different fibers, one from each gland, as may be shown by separating them. The silk in these glands is prepared and sold as silk gut to anglers. On account of its transparency when in water, it becomes invisible and thus aids in diluting the wary fish, who does not see any connection between the line and the baited hook. The gut is prepared as follows. Larvae, which are ready to spin their cocoons, are cut open and placed in strong vinegar for 18 hours. The glands are then taken out, stretched, and dried in the shade. Six or eight days after beginning the cocoon, the larval skin is molted, and the real chrysalac or pupal stage begins. This stage normally lasts till the following spring or summer. A few days before the time of emergence, a pair of glands which open into the mouth become very active and secrete an acidulated fluid which escapes and wets the fore end of the cocoon, causing the resinous material binding together the fibers to become soft. Even cocoons sealed up in shellac and starch have been dissolved by this fluid, and thus the moths have been able to escape. When the cocoon has become sufficiently soft, the moth pushes its way between the fibers but in doing so often breaks some of the threads, thus making the silk of such cocoons useless for commercial purposes. The moth at the time of emergence, with its folded and crumpled wings, is quite a forlorn-looking object. These wilted wings soon begin to fill up with fluids from the body, which is very large at this time. In some cases the fluid is driven into the wings with so much force 
that they swell up and if such a wing is punctured thus allowing some of the fluid to escape the mature wing will be of a smaller size than one from which no fluid has been lost it must be remembered that it is possible to inflate a butterfly or moth's wing because the wings of insects are not composed of a single layer but are sacs of two layers which are closely applied it is thus possible to split the wing into upper and lower halves but this can only be done at the time of emergence when these two layers are not so firmly cemented together as they are in a few hours after emergence the enemies of polyphemus are numerous birds prey upon the larvae in addition to numerous parasitic insects which are very similar to those which destroy cecropia the cocoon itself is not a complete protection because rats and squirrels plunder them we thus see that the life of even an insect is full of dangers and that it is really a wonder that so many are able to become mature and reproduce the silkworm moths are excellent illustrations of what is called complete metamorphosis in insects an insect like the grasshopper when it hatches from the egg is very much like the adult insect in its general form and appearance the most evident difference being the lack of wings an insect which shows such slight changes in its growth or maturity is said to have an incomplete metamorphosis it is incomplete in the sense that the change is not of a very radical nature but in the case of the silkworm moths and moths and butterflies in general the larva which hatches from the eggs has not even the most superficial resemblance to the adult insect the fully developed moth this necessitates a complete change or metamorphosis in the form and structure of the insect before it can become mature this great change is accomplished during the quiet pupal stage in the cocoon because the pupa is apparently passive when viewed from the exterior one must not conclude that it is so internally far from it the digestive organs of the larva must be completely made over from those of a chewing leaf eater to those of a moth which can only take liquid food charles christopher adams End of section 15.